Welcome back, everyone. Episode 187 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. Rugby World Cup mode, full and ready. This is Rugby Rich, and we've got a, a massive cast for you today. We're going to look through Rugby World Cup in uh, you know, a decent bit of detail before we end up with a bit of NRC chat. So we have Will McDougall. How are you going, mate? Very well, thanks, Reg. Excellent. You enjoying your time so far, Rugby World Cup mode? Certainly. It's, uh, it's the pinnacle event on the rugby calendar, so it's, uh, it's just brilliant. And Jamie Miller joining us from the States, mate. How's the feel over there in, in America? Good. Everyone is obviously completely wrapped by the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> That's good to hear, mate. The NFL has been put in the background for a little while. The, the Hain plane has landed and uh, everything's on Rugby World Cup mode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Hain plane was ridiculous to start off with, but, you know, it's good that stopped now. All right, good to hear. Uh, we'll hear more from you later. And Hugh Cavill also with us from Sydney. How are you, mate? I'm great. I'm great. I don't think I was ready for the World Cup. I was kind of, you know, you forget over the last three, four years how good it is. And all it takes is one, you know, minnow, minnow result, um, knocking off one of the big guns to get you right back into it. And all of a sudden, it's the talk of the office again. It's fantastic. You're exactly right. We'll, we'll go into a bit more detail about all this soon, but you're exactly right. I was not as enthused a week ago as, uh, you know, but once it started, it took me sitting down watching that opening ceremony, or not so much the opening ceremony, the opening game, um, but even watching USA um, uh, Samoa the other night, which wasn't a, it was a cracking match, but just loving it, you know, it's, you know, rugby on late at night, in the house, by myself, it was just fantastic. But what we're going to do now, guys, we're going to go around the horn, um, we're all going to look at a different pool and just what's been happening so far, so Will, you're going to kick us off, mate, you've got pool A, uh, give us your thoughts, what's happened so far? Well, yeah, obviously the first game of the World Cup was uh, England against Fiji and um, in front of a packed crowd at Twickenham, it was it was just a brilliant atmosphere, I thought. Like, I was just kind of blown away when uh, I sort of got up bright and early on uh, Saturday morning and uh, just, just hearing the noise of the crowd as it sort of built towards kickoff, it was just, it really felt like this is this is the World Cup, it's all happening now and uh, and we're play- it, it means business sort of thing and... Um, Look, I thought it was a, a pretty good game. Um, Fiji were probably a bit unlucky in parts that they sort of had a couple of moments where they could cl- could have clawed themselves back into the game, but uh, just a few mistakes, and then um, England ran over the top of them at the end. I guess the sort of bit of controversy to start off the World Cup with a, a penalty try from Rolling Mall, and uh, I guess a lot of people have been a bit critical of that um, and probably said that it, was, uh, it should have been a penalty against England for a... For an obstruction penalty, but um, yeah, it certainly set the tone for the first week of matches because we've seen plenty of rolling mall tries. But uh, hopefully, the referees get on top of the uh, of the adjudicating on those. But it, it was generally, I thought, a, a pretty good game. The England weren't as as good as you'd probably think they should be. Um, a few notable performers, though. Mike Brown at fullback was was certainly England's best, and. Um, and uh, Sam Burgess off the bench was pretty good for them late in the game and provided some good sort of uh, ball running in the back line. But, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot good, of nerves good way to game. start the cup. Yeah, a lot of nerves in that game, you could tell. I mean, I think both sides suffered from it 
early on, a few basic mistakes. I, I think you're right. I think England probably adjusted to it a little bit quicker than the Fijians. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, I think most Aussies were, were cheering for the Fijians, but uh, they lost their way a little bit there. Their kicking game was rather infuriating. I know if I was a, a Fijian fan, first and foremost, I would have been pulling my hair out. But um, some aimless kicking, some senseless kicking, and, and let alone the goal kicking was uh, was not quite up to scratch either. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And... And we should just say something about the malls as well, which is that the referees, as on the day, as consistently through the year, are applying the interpretations of the mall laws perfectly. The problem is the interpretation themselves. I mean, um, I, I think everybody who knows anything about rugby agrees with you, Will, that when there's a four-person truck and trailer and there's no member of the Fijian team involved and the ball's at the back of that truck and trailer that A, that's not a mall, and B, there's nothing Fiji can do to legally bring that down at the moment, which totally makes a mockery of the idea that everything in rugby should be a contest. Um, And it's frustrating because on this site and other sites and and, uh, in other rugby circles, everyone's been calling for world rugby to reinterpret the mall law, and they haven't done it. And this isn't going to be the last time this World Cup where we talk about the ridiculousness of the mall law. I yeah. just want to say more law more often. More, more, more law, law. More law. Yeah. More law. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. That, I think this first game, and it, you mentioned the you know the penalty try being the first try scorer, and you go back and you know I have great memories of Michael Jones being the first try scorer of '87. He also did it in '91, and and you know that great moment of that first try. And I just felt a pang of, oh, is this going to be indicative of what this tournament's all about, that our first tries are penalty tries? So we'll have to wait and see there. Um, the more's got to be a big factor, but the other big talking point from this game was the TMO, wasn't it, Will? Yeah, and certainly I, I guess there's been, firstly, people complaining that it was used too much and, and probably the way the, the way things ran, it sort of ended up, uh, working against Fiji, there was the sort of the big runaway try, non-try by the uh, Fijian halfback that uh, yeah. was originally awarded it, and then as they're sort of getting ready for the conversion, uh, the replay came up showing he clearly dropped it. But um, and uh, just this evening, I've seen a clarification released by uh, World Rugby about the use of the TMO and the situations in which it's used, uh, and then defending the uh, use in that first game, saying only 28% of the stoppages were caused by the uh, TMO. So, <laughs> but uh, it's a game of stats. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, look, I, I think I think we're going to see it used used a lot. It's sort of the part of the modern game with the big screens and the replays will come up and. Uh, attention will be drawn to, to moments of foul play or uh, things that weren't picked up by the uh, referee. So, look, I, I think it's it's part of it and uh, people, people should just get used to it because it's probably not really going to change and um, certainly, I think, is a, creates better outcomes than, than absolute howlers being uh, yeah. sort of howling mistakes by the referees, whether to call a try or a no try um, completely incorrectly sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess that's the point. You talk about that fantastic run by the, the, the halfback. It wasn't a try in the end, and you know if the technology's there, let's use it. I guess what we want to be wary of, and, and it, we kind of saw it when Nadolo scored, was, you know, does it take half a dozen replays to determine that's a try? Probably yeah, that not. was a bit of a bizarre one. Yeah. Uh, it seemed quite... It should have been, I thought, quite obvious to the... Uh, um, to the assistant referee who was who was very close to the 
to where it happened and uh, probably should have just said, yep, that's a try. Um, and surely after one replay, uh, it was certainly good enough to say it's a try. But uh, look, maybe they just wanted to see uh, Big Namani uh, leaping yep. high and <laughs> taking the ball and crashing down for a try. So, <laughs> well, well, I mean, while we're on the subject of TMR, though, the issue is, I mean, if we're going to drill down into it, and I don't mean to get yeah, too yeah, worked off on a tangent, but I mean... One of the later games, the uh, France-Italy game, actually had a scenario where the TMO was consulted and ruled a try, and then as the French kicker was lining up for a kick, he um, another angle was revealed um, after you know after the TMO had made his decision, which showed the ball being dropped over the line. And, and so what what this leads you to, I mean, my worry is here, and and again the issue with the the Fijian try is kind of similar is. Who you're essentially relying on there is the producer of of the ground um, sort of screen, the the TV producer who's pulling these angles up, and and who's to say you know in a crunch moment in a knockout game if England uh, you know England score a similar try, what's to stop the producer from seeing that angle and going well we're not going to put that up on the big screen, you know that that, that angle gets buried and all and you just see the the rear angle which shows the try. You know, I, I'm not sure if there, there's any safeguards in place, and I'm not look not for a minute suggesting that that that, that would happen, um, but certainly you know if once you put a lot of you know a lot of power seems to rest in these producers' hands here as to what angles they show. So, you know, there is the potential for a situation to come up where, where a team gets burnt by. Well, isn't it interesting, Hugh, and Will, you being a cricket fan in particular, uh, you'd recognise this, but we saw a lot in that Ashes tour of when it goes to the third umpire who, who is watching the TV, he knows the angles he's got to look at. Let me see the side on. Let me see the, you know, the hot spot. Let me see this. Like you're saying here, there seems to be no real discretion. It's up to whoever the producer is to show which angle. So... Perhaps well, and also be... it seems that the TMO doesn't know the angles, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it reveals a fair point, you know, that, that, that there surely is fixed camera positions that the TMO should know. Yep. And he should be there saying, hang on, I know we've got a bloke that's sitting, yep. you know, in in the corner there. Why haven't we seen that shot yet? Yeah, obviously, I guess, compared to, to cricket, the, there's Cameron sort of running up and down the sideline. Yeah. But, yeah, like you say, there, there are certainly... You know that there should be a cameraman on either side and then there's the various fixed ones. So certainly they should have a pretty good idea of where where the potential angles are coming from and, and what they should be looking at. Uh, yeah, it certainly creates a risk of the... Which I think a lot of people are sort of... are sort of complaining about... Complaining about Potentially in advance that the uh, the producer at the ground ends up having a big say potentially in what happens, but um, yeah, I think that the TMO has to to get on top of that by by calling for the right replays and uh, and making sure they've seen them um, if there's any doubt whatsoever. So yep. All right, so that was a good win to the host nation in the first game. What what next, Will? Uh, the only other game in uh, Pool A so far was uh, Wales against. Um, Uruguay, uh, Wales ran away pretty comfortable winners, 54-9. to nine. I think um, the takeaways from this game, probably firstly, Uruguay were probably did better than most people would expect. And um, this is certainly sort of, I think, the closing of the gap between uh, between sort of the... And this is probably the, I'd say, the lowest-ranked team mm-hmm. in the tournament and, uh, and a Tier 1 side, uh, albeit with lots of injuries. But, um, look, these, these games would blow out to close to 100 
points uh, differential in previous World Cups, so it's good that they're that this one was a bit closer. Um, I guess the big takeaways from this game for Wales was that on top of uh, an already high injury count, they've uh, suffered a few more injuries. I think the uh, outside centre Corey Allen got injured after scoring a hat trick. Um, and uh, he he was a late inclusion in the squad after previous injuries. So and uh, and then in the front row, I think uh, Paul James and Samson Lee both uh, are struggling with injury now. I'm not sure exactly on on their uh, condition sort of going forward in the tournament, but um, Samson Lee certainly was a, a late like in, included without actually having played any rugby after having a long injury layoff before the tournament. So uh, not good news for Wales. They're sort of really up against it now. Yeah, all right. And you've got a, a few uh, big games coming up in Pool A this weekend. None the least, Australia's debut uh, for this tournament against Fiji on Thursday morning, uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time. So 1:45 kickoff there. Um, both teams now named, um, and and as we expected, probably our number one Wallaby Pack team. Yeah, definitely. Um... And I guess maybe after we've done through, gone through the pools, we will come back like to a bit more those, preview yeah. of the uh, Wallabies. Yep, very cool. All right, Jamie, you've got a great pool to talk about, mate. Pool B, lots happening here. Yeah, obviously the massive highlight here was uh, the USA's gallant defeat to Samoa, uh, 16-25. Um, nothing at all about Japan and South Africa, <laughs> so we'll just touch on that in passing. Um but in seriously, seriousness, Japan 34, South Africa 32, um, not just the biggest upset in World Cup history, the biggest upset in rugby history, uh, a result that would have been completely uh, unanticipated, uh, almost, it's still almost impossible to fathom. It's really hard to actually remind yourself that Japan actually beat South Africa in a game of rugby. Um, against a, a top-string South African side. There was nothing second-string about this team, you know, on the biggest stage of all, and uh, they fully deserved it. They played up-tempo rugby. Um, they were creative. They were very um, systematic about following their game plan, and they really stretched the South Africans. It's not as though they, they played a particular style or exposed one particular weakness. They beat them all over the field. Um, and it's just a fantastic moment for rugby. It's a fantastic moment for this World Cup that really puts it on the map uh, very early on and gets people excited about it. And um, obviously it's it's great for everybody who loves rugby unless you happen to be a South African, in which case it's awful. Um, what did you guys think? I, I'm with you. I'm still looking at the score on my piece of paper and I still can't fathom it. You know, as someone on the forum said, there was no indication of this through Japan's early form, you know, in the leading up to the World Cup, you know, uh, no. no outrageous performances. It, it, it's it's like that two famous 2003 Rugby World Cup semi-final Wallabies versus the All Blacks when Eddie Jones coincidentally was our coach. And again, the Wallabies hadn't shown much that tournament, albeit they were, you know, they were still winning games and were expected to do well, but... The level of performance before between their, I think it was their quarterfinal versus Scotland where they ambled their way through to what they did in that game versus New Zealand was astronomical. This is obviously a whole other level. But it's just unbelievable. And like you say, it is the perfect thing to happen on the first day of a, of a Rugby World Cup. Oh, they really needed it, didn't they? But I think the best part about it was, you know... Often when these upset games happen, you know, you look at Australia, for example, when we've been knocked off by Scotland or Samoa, mm. it's it's 
it's because we've played appallingly and, you know, the, there's been a charge down try or an intercept try and, you know, the minnows have got their wind up a bit and we've just been a bit rattled and haven't been able to get into the game. But Japan Japan played so well, you know, Japan... And the box didn't play particularly badly either. You know, they, they, they probably fell off the pace a few times and should have put the Japanese away, you know, with 15 minutes to go. Um, but the way that Japan pegged their way back into that contest... And they scored that second, you know, that that second last try there, which was an incredibly well worked backline move that I dare say would would score against most teams in the world. Mm. And and then oh, managed brilliant to try, yep. yeah, exactly. And then managed to, you know, pressurize the Springboks, work their way down into the into the twenty two, you know, a succession of lineouts and scrums, and then you know to take it one way, and then to you know to fling it wide like that, you know, with the whole with the game on the line, and to do it so well. I mean, it's just it's just fantastic, and and you know, as I said, it just got the whole it got my whole office talking about it. You know, girls that that aren't into rugby at all going, oh, geez, how about Japan? And mm. it sort of cut through that the sporting landscape, which is it's just fantastic. Yeah, and um, Pool B is suddenly looking like a much more interesting and exciting pool. Uh, obviously, apart from South Africa and Japan, there's also um, Samoa and Scotland, uh, who have been playing quite well this year, it should be said, under New Zealander Vern Cotter, and the US. Um, so suddenly that pool becomes a, a lot more competitive. Um, the real question is what's going to happen with South Africa now. Unsurprisingly, their press and their fans have been giving them an absolute hiding, um, and probably rightfully so. I mean, this squad was one that was picked based on experience and veterans um, and not the players that were in form. Um, anyone who's been watching much Super Rugby recently knows that the Lions have been playing the most interesting and effective rugby amongst their franchises, and there are precisely zero Lions in this squad. Instead, there's three guys um, who are in their fourth World Cup. That means going back to 2003 when, when Australia beat New Zealand in that Eddie Jones game. And it would be four, but Jean de Villiers got injured in the last warm-up. So that's that's four out of 30 players right there. Um, and someone like Fouy Dupier, he hasn't actually played any real rugby in 18 months. I mean, this is this is a true uh, a true oldies team that they've picked here. And uh, I think these are good players. You know, no one's saying Victor Matfield isn't a good player, but maybe a third to a half of the players are past their best. They might still be good, but they're past their best. And I think it said a lot about this game that just prior to kickoff, Villa Malberts went down with an injury. Villa Malberts is probably the most injury-prone player in international rugby, and he's been injured all year, and yet he's in the squad, gets to game day, and what do you know, he's injured again. So, you know, can South Africa turn things around with the squad they've got? Yes, but will those problems still remain? Also, yes. It'll be interesting to see. It is. This is the new pool of death. It is usurped our pool of death, and it is new, the, the new <laughs> pool of death. It's a fascinating yeah. um, pool. It's the pool. It's the pool of kamikaze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I think South Africa still win this pool. I'd be yeah. amazed if that. I mean, it's actually the, the race for second becomes really interesting yeah. now because you think Japan might really be able to throw a spanner in. Um, oh, and, like, you know, Samoa, Scotland... That that's the really interesting battle. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a bit more open than that. I think I think South Africa probably will end up shading it, but there's no reason why a team like Scotland or Samoa can't think, okay, well, we can beat Japan. 
which will put us on as many wins as South Africa have the rest of the time and then see what happens against the Springboks. I mean, I, I think this pool is very open. Yeah, uh, which is fantastic. and um, you know, Which is good for rugby. It yeah, is. It's, good it's for exactly rugby. what you want from the tournament. Um, all right, I'm going to have a look at Pool C, guys, um, which was which is probably, I, I think, the first um, upset of the tournament was uh, George getting up over Tonga, 17-10. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it coming, and, and, and I don't close cover uh, Georgian rugby too closely these days, but, um, you know, we're always aware of the physicality of the forwards and the size of their forwards. But a couple of little stats here, guys. So George obviously got up 17-10. Tonga had 74% of the territory and 72% of the possession all game, which is just blows my mind. You know, uh, I knew Georgia had to defend a lot, and they, I knew they defended a lot. And their their skipper Gorodzi made 24 tackles himself, and the the, the back row themselves made you know, 70 odd tackles between them. Um, but that's an astronomical figure, and, and and you know, in that final 10 minutes when um, you know Tonga are really pushing hard to, to to grab the game at the end, um, that possession figure was up to sort of 85 percent, 90 percent territory. So uh, a really gutsy win by Georgia, and, and it was these two. Obviously, you know, South Africa, Japan was amazing, but it was both of these performances that just really gave me a great lift onto what the potential for this World Cup will be, and um, hopefully it, it continues. Um, the other game, obviously, the big one here was. Uh, New Zealand Argentina, which was uh, I think just yesterday morning, and the All Blacks getting up 26-16, but uh, Argentina didn't by no means did the Kiwis have it all their way. Argentina were leading. Um, I think it was about 20 to go, and it was ultimately when um, a few bench players came on. We talk about the impact of these bench players, and we saw it in Japan. Japan had some great bench players, and Fiji probably lacked some, and England had some, and New Zealand definitely had some, uh, particularly with uh, Sonny Bill Williams, who was instrumental in a, in a, a few of those. Uh, key tries towards the end, and in fact a non-try uh, as well. But um, uh, you know, a win's a win for New Zealand; they'll take it. But plenty of hope for Argentina still in what is uh, you know a, a fairly straightforward pool, but um, uh, that uh, nice sort of kickstart to it with Tonga and Georgia. Anyone have any particular thoughts on this one? Anyone catch much of the footy here? Yeah, the All Blacks, you know, I thought did everything that they needed to in that game. Yeah. They had a bit of, you know, they were pushed early, which I think is probably in the long run better for them. Um, and their subs came on, made real impact and, and, and ended up, you know, winning the game pretty comfortably. So, look, I mean, Argentina played really well there. So I think, that, you know, a lot to be um, happy about if you're one of their supporters. But, um, yeah, not, not too many surprises in that pool. Yeah, it, it, and it's I guess, yeah, go well. I, I guess this is why New Zealand's been far and away the best side in the world for, for a long time now, is that they, they play these games where they don't play particularly well, uh, the opposition plays very well, and they still still get away with a pretty comfortable win in the end. They just uh, they know how to get the job done, and they when it sort of comes to the crunch late in the game, they, they really come home well. So uh, any, anyone who wants to beat New Zealand in this tournament certainly needs to be on, on the money. But they've also got to build into this tournament. Australia are fortunate that, you know, we've got Fiji and Uruguay first, and all due respect to Fiji, but, you know, that'll be a tough game. We we build with England and Wales before the, the finals, which is a great sort of lead-in. New Zealand are the opposite. They've got their toughest game first in Argentina, and for the next few weeks they've got to balance. There will be, uh, you know, Georgia and, and, uh, and uh, Tonga. So, you know, 
they somewhat ease off again before they have to lift again in the final. So it is a tough gig for them, and they've, they've fallen in the past having to, to balance that. So, um, uh, you know, they'll be happy with the points, and uh, we'll see how they take it from there. Um, Pool D, Hugh, you might as well jump straight in. Ireland, obviously, uh, your favourite people. Oh, yeah, geez, and aren't they just setting themselves up lovely for a quarterfinal <laughs> disappointment because they were red hot against the Canadians. 50-7 to 7 they won, and, and, you know, I've got to say, it was pretty impressive. Canada are, you know, Canada probably aren't the force they were a few sort of years ago, but they're not a bad side, and I thought Ireland just looked really good. That first first sort of half an hour, they just put the Canadians away um, and really didn't, um, you know, didn't look troubled at all, barely raised a sweat. Um, and, look, I've got to say, Canada didn't play too badly. Um, they were probably a bit unlucky in the end, and the scoreline might might have, have been a bit harsh to them. But um, I've got to say, they're 5'8". I, I really like a bloke called Nathan Hirayama. I was really impressed by so One to watch. I love yeah, finding okay. these players out of these minnow countries you've, you've never heard of before. And he's, he's one come out of their sevens program, and he's been around a while, but um, I thought he was very impressive. But, um, yeah, no no dramas for Ireland there, and they, uh, they look pretty good. The other game was um, France knocking off the Italians um, by 20 points or so. And again, you know, it was a pretty dull sort of first half with just uh, penalty goals being traded. But um, the French sort of got on top in that second period and and um, jetted out to a lead through a couple of nice tries. And um, uh, yeah, look, I, I, this was obviously you know not their toughest game. They're obviously building to the, that game against Ireland. But um, I think they showed enough in this game to suggest that they'll be they'll be somewhere around it. I mean, it's just a good first game to blow away the cobwebs, and they took care of Italy. You know, Italy are without Sergio Parise, but still a pretty decent side. So, um, yeah, I don't think they'll be too unhappy with that result. Um, cracking the whip there. Yeah, look, fair enough. And, and um, I agree. I thought Ireland looked pretty slick uh, against, um, you know, uh, an adequate Canadian team. So um, Ireland, uh, a few people are suggesting are the, the ones to watch in this tournament that are sort of flying under the radar a bit, but we'll see how they progress um, uh, over the next coming weeks. Um, let's just look ahead and touch on the games for this weekend, and why don't we work backwards, Hugh? Have you got those Pool D fixtures in front of you, mate? It's, it's all pretty straightforward from your perspective. Uh, I, I don't have them in front right. of me, but I think uh, Romania's coming in, and I think I'm playing the French. Yeah, so you've got France-Romania Thursday morning about 5am. Pretty straightforward. Yep, and um, I think the new, it's uh, the Italians against the Canadians. Yep, on Saturday and evening at about 11.30pm. I mean, geez, I, I, aren't, that, that's a real razzle-dazzle showdown, that one. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that's a competition for third place in the pool. But, um, yeah... And then the oh, poor Romanians have got another backup there Monday morning at 1.45. They're taking on Ireland, so uh, tough <laughs> good luck for boys. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, big week for Romanian fans. And I know I've got a lot of them on that listen to the podcast. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, in downtown um, downtown Bucharest. Bucharest, I'm yep, sure, sure they're going to be huddled around their TV, so <laughs> good on them. Um, yeah, well, Pool C is another couple of straightforward games you would expect. We, you know, we would have said that last week, but New Zealand playing on Namibia on uh, Friday morning at 5am, so that should be a, a pretty healthy win. I guess it's always interesting to see when or if the first 100-pointer comes down, and, and that would be a, a pretty strong candidate for one. And Argentina taking on Georgia, which should be you know, a pretty straightforward game for Argentina, but um, that forward battle will definitely be one to... Um, 
to oh the scrum the to scrum fans good, some good scrums yeah. there. Yeah. The scrum fans are going to love that. Yep. So everyone, um, Jamie, what do you got coming up in your pool, mate? Uh, we got Scotland and Japan, which is on just before the um, the big big game against Fiji on Wednesday. So Japan have got the short turnaround there, and I imagine they've been on uh, a greater emotional roller coaster than a guy coming off acid, to be honest. So you know, we'll we'll see whether they can back it up. Um, and then on Saturday, the Springboks play Samoa at Villa Park in Birmingham. So that'll be uh, the big game just before the England Wales fixture. So. That's what's lining up for Pool B. I mean, doesn't it? It just makes a difference, doesn't it? Japanese win. That Scotland-Japanese game, which is from a, from an Aussie perspective, Wednesday night at 11.30 as a lead into the, the Aussie test. Um, and then South Africa versus Samoa on Sunday morning at 1.45am. Uh, that'll be a cracker too. And then even, I think, Sunday night, you've got Scotland-USA, which... Yeah. You know, so Scotland have got a quick turnaround there as well. So... Um, you know, who, who's plenty of happening there as well. So Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, if if people, for whatever reason, because they hate life or whatever, have been watching Scotland over the last 12 months, <laughs> um, they've got a new coach, Vern Cotter, who used to coach at Clermont Auvergne, who are the yep. least European of the big European sides. And just the way they play rugby is... is I don't know. There, there might just be a little bit of a dark horse to be a bit more effective than we think, to be not Scotland, let's put it that way. So I'd just keep a little eye out for them. Um, all right, good stuff. And Pool A will bring us home, mate. Uh, this is uh, this is us. We finally get to see our boys take the field. Yeah, so our first game of the tournament, uh, 1.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, Thursday morning. We take on Fiji. Uh, and then um, following that on Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday early morning. Sunday morning, or 5 a.m. Sunday morning, we've uh, got one of the big games of the pool, England against Wales, um, which uh, you probably think England uh, will be too strong here, but um, certainly certainly a big one to watch there. Um, and then we back up uh, on Sunday night with our second game against Uruguay, where we'll get to see the... Uh, the 15 players who aren't in the starting team this time around, uh, you expect from everything Checker said. So it uh, be good to see uh, both teams go around for the Wallabies and uh, get our campaign well and truly underway before uh, we come, ho- come home with our two big games against England and Wales. So. All right, so let's talk through it, guys. I guess we'll focus on Fiji. We know that the team's name there. We're all feeling pretty confident about this one, Will. You, you know, pretty confident that we'll get through this, hopefully? Yes, yeah, certainly. I like... I certainly imagine the uh, the players have been sort of watching these opening games and and probably I guess got a bit of an insight into how big the atmosphere is and and what an occasion it is and hopefully that sort of helps uh, get rid of some of the sort of early nerves that uh, we've certainly seen in in many of the the opening few games so uh, I think they'll be really switched on they've been sort of training really hard and then probably sort of tapered in into the tournament in the last week and they'll I think they'll be raring to go and. Um, yeah, pretty pretty much no no real surprises in the selections of uh, of Checker for this one. I think um, the only ones really were probably who would start out of Genia and Phipps, and uh, uh, Genia has got the nod there, and then Rob Rob Horn starting on one wing, um, probably ahead of uh, Drew Mitchell, who a lot of people thought might start there. So um, aside from that, uh, probably uh, great to see the. Uh, the Hooper Pocock, or as, as the worldwide press is now calling it, the Pooper. We should have uh, trademarked it. Um, 
we've we've surely got to claim that that's a that's a green and gold rugby initi- uh, original though. Uh, I didn't read it anywhere else until uh, <laughs> um, except on green and gold rugby, and all of a sudden it's a thing. So good to see. And then um, I guess Kane Douglas is sort of firmed as a, a first choice lock. Um, probably after that USA game, so that's a pretty remarkable recovery, but uh, hopefully him and Rob Simmons form a good, effective combination there. So, yeah, the the team just has to play well, but they, they should be too good for Fiji. Um, but uh, And they certainly won't be underestimating them. There's there's no there's no doubt that they're, they're going to be really switched on for this game and, and sort of not take things lightly. So it's exciting so- to see them get underway, though. Yep. I've got a I've got a question. I suppose just generally for the panel is 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 what's par in this game? You know, because it's always so hard to set your expectations for these these games, which you, you know you probably should win. Um, but you know, first up, is it just to get the win, or is it we've got to get the four try, or is it you know have we got to really put some points on them, or is it is it just about sort of blowing off the cobwebs? Because you know. It, it seems to me to be. I think there's a there's an undercurrent of people thinking we should put fifty or sixty on Fiji. But from watching that first game, you know they're they're a decent side and they're they're probably gonna you know they're obviously nervous that first game and and you'd think they might probably build into it a bit more um, and improve on how they played against England. Yeah, it, it's from my perspective and Jamie, I'd be interested to hear yours. It's not so much to score; it's the structures. You know, I want to see a you know. England were all over the pace a little bit, and, and, and Fiji definitely were. It's that we've got this team has got three games, you know, three big games. Put aside Uruguay, it'll be the the, the dirt trackers or the the emus will play that game. This this team has got you know this game, England and uh, and Wales, and we need to be uh, on on point this game. So it's it's about that nice tight structured game. Um, making the metres up front before we take it wide, all that sort of stuff that I want to see. You know, obviously um, a four-try bonus point I think is going to be pretty, could be important, but in, in the end it's it's how we play as opposed to what Dan score. You know, yeah, absolutely. A result. I totally yeah, agree with that. that. That's exactly right. Um, and I think if you look at that Fiji-England game, um, there are a number of areas where Fiji were actually able to cause England a bit of worry. Um, one of them was the line-out, strangely enough. Mm. So we'll be looking for a strong line-out. Um, Checker will be looking for an effective maul. He'll be looking for an effective scrum. In other words, he'll be looking to get the foundations right early. The other area was at the breakdown. And Checker teams tend to go very light on putting people into the breakdown, which you know, might work against New Zealand, who also don't like to put people in the breakdown. But if Fiji are going to contest the tackle the way they did against England, the accuracy at the breakdown is going to need to be much, much better, and we're going to need to commit more resources to cleaning out opposition people. So I think that's the things that Checker is really going to want to see more than the scoreline itself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd certainly like to, sorry, uh, just a couple more things, just like to see us... um, sort of adapt to the game better than we have done in, in a lot of tests in the last few years. So if, uh, as you said, Jamie, if they, if they are flooding the breakdown more, for us to make that adjustment sort of in the first half and, and just deal with it and not just be sort of a playing fairly ragged rugby until we get to the to the change rooms and have to have the coach sort of tell them how they should adapt to it. Like We need to start get to the point where we're making those decisions on the field and, uh, and adapting to what yeah. the opposition are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just I just wanted to drop in a stat as well. Um, since 
Pocock's been picked at eight, which I'm very, very relieved about. Yep. Um, but there was a bit of an untold story that went on at the John Eels medal uh, a few weeks ago, which was that David Pocock finished second. And if you actually look at the games that were eligible for that medal, there were nine games, and he didn't play in any of the first five because he was injured. So as a total, he started two out of the nine and came off the bench in two out of the nine and got enough votes to finish second in the overall medal. So that tells you a lot about, you know, all these incredibly stupid stories about uh, the players don't like Pocock because he's outspoken on political issues. Absolute rubbish. They clearly vote him up the wazoo because they can see crystal clear how important he is to the team's overall performance. Two starts, two bench appearances, second in the John Eels medal. It's that simple. Yeah, that's amazing. It's incredible. Um, all right, good stuff, guys. That's a nice sort of review, preview uh, of this first, what we'd call, I, I guess, week of the World Cup, and, and we've got some exciting rugby this uh, weekend coming up. What about, uh, I guess, the World Cup as, as a whole? What's you know, Has there been a moment, a memory, something that's sort of caught the eye for you, Hugh, something that stands out this first uh, week or so? Well, it's not really a moment or a memory. I've got to say, the one thing that I'm loving about the World Cup is, is the dedicated channel on Fox Sports. It's just fantastic. And, and some of the shows, I mean, there was a the, the first edition of the World Cup Weekly, I think it's called, last night with Nick McArdle and Jeff Wilson, Joel Stransky and George Gregan. I thought it was a ripper. It's yeah. just great having having all these great shows and um, being able to, uh, yeah, watch a whole, whole heap of rugby. It's, it's just fantastic. Good point, mate. I, and the classic games, mate. I you yeah. know, watched that uh, Scotland Fiji. I think it was a quarter. Must have been. Uh, must have been a must have been a quarterfinal. I don't know. But maybe it was the last pool game from 2003, where Rupetti's got a couple of tries, and you know, it was just sensational. And, and you know, catching some of those old crackers are, are, is just fantastic, and really does stir the spirits up of what the World Cup's all about. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Well done to. The Fox Sports guys, because, um, yeah, much like the Romanians, I know they all listen. <laughs> the big fans, mate. They're just <laughs> looking for their future talent, mate. Uh, Jamie, what about yourself, mate? Uh, for me, it had to be the Japan-South Africa game. That just gave me a really warm, fuzzy feeling about the, the whole tournament. So, you know, not very original pick there, but that was it for me. Seeing the, the Japanese fans crying, and, and apparently when the... Um, the team train got back to Victoria Station in London. The South African fans gave a guard of honour to the Japanese fans on their train. Um, I mean, if this World Cup can extract sportsmanship from South Africans, then it's doing pretty well. Mate, you're exactly right. And that was mine, both those reactions. I, I'll have memories of that game for a long time. I sort of ran downstairs to, you know, I'd, I'd got the heads up from someone who's over there just say, make sure you watch the, the South African game this morning. So I knew something was up, so I ran downstairs, put the recording on and uh, sort of slowly went through the pre-match and waited for my son, my oldest son, to wake up who I knew would be up and my youngest son was up and my youngest daughter was up who's got no interest in rugby whatsoever. But we all sat and watched it and even my four-year-old girl, you know, sort of got into it. And, and just that last five, ten minutes... I almost wanted, you know, a, a camera on the game, a camera on the fans, and a camera on Eddie Jones just to see all their reactions because it was just sensational. So, and like you say, that story of the the South African supporters and there's some great photos of them embracing the Japanese fans after the game. So, uh, it's just wonderful stuff and what it's all about. 
Um, Will, what about yourself, mate? Uh, I'm just going to go with the uh, start, the sort of lead up to the uh, England Fiji game. I just uh, just absolutely packed Twickenham, and the, the anthems. I just I was quite amazed by the noise the crowd yeah. produced when they were when they were sort of singing the anthem, and uh, it just sort of just reminded you how special the Rugby World Cup is. Um, in terms of uh, the overall sporting calendar, but particularly for uh, for us rugby fans, and um, I think it just really set the scene for for the whole tournament. And um, like we'd heard all the stats beforehand about the, the amazing ticket sales sort of throughout the tournament, and uh, I think it's what we can get can get used to. Like they're going to be packed stadiums, and they're going to be vocal crowds sort of cheering the teams on, and the atmosphere is just phenomenal. So yeah, it's brilliant. Like, it's going to make the uh, world rugby, and, and I guess. Rugby Football Union, a lot of money. Let's just help World Rugby get to uh, spend it wisely. Um, well, that'll wrap up the Rugby World Cup, guys. Uh, I want to touch briefly, bring it back home domestically and just sort of talk through the NRC only because we, uh, we cover it pretty extensively and it would be inappropriate we didn't allude to it. It's interesting round of rugby. There's uh, three big blowouts, really. The, the Vikings versus Stars game, which was the Thursday night TV game was just a, a, a massacre, and the Vikings winning 76-16, to 16, um, and this poor Stars team, they they started the season well and had a you know a really good unit and had stepped up from last year, but they've had injuries and players away. It's interesting, James Hansen, I haven't heard anything from him. I've got a suspicion he's hiding out somewhere in England waiting for uh, waiting for that Uruguay game to, to finish up, and uh, he might end up in that squad for... Who, who knows, you know, Sean McMahon or something like that. But uh, he doesn't seem to be around at the moment, so he's he's hovering somewhere secretly, I reckon. Um, but the Stars had some injuries and just couldn't keep pace with the Vikings. Uh, it was basically a, a Brumbies team, and they, they tore them apart. Nigel Wong, four tries, and Itavia remains in fantastic form with a couple of tries. And uh, Lilia Fano was great at 10, but lots of... Uh, Robbie Abel, the hooker, was, was fantastic, and, and uh, Isaac Thompson, the fullback. So it's not all just the Brumbies players producing the goods. Um, and I actually thought Tommy Kingston, who was the Stars' fullback, was uh, pretty bloody good too. Uh, in a, a team that was heavily defeated. Um, uh, next game of the round was the Melbourne Rising getting up over the, the Rams, 37-36, to 36, and this was heartbreaking for the Rams. They actually were, were leading um, and playing damn well. I think it was about 10 to go. They were up by uh, a couple of tries, um, only for uh, the Rising to, to finish on top of them. Tommy English came off the bench and scored a couple and, and made a big impact um, Jordy Reid scored one try to get them close, and then, then I think it was English that went over at the end, um, and uh, 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 Jack Debrezny, um scored the winning conversion. But uh, real shame for the Rams. They haven't won this year. They're, I think it might be the second or third game that they've actually scored more tries than the opposition, but their goal-kicking has really let them down. And when you've got three-point conversions, it's, it's pretty critical to hit those. But... Um, uh, Big Jed Holloway and, and Matty McDougall were fantastic, as uh, were many of their team uh, for the Rams. So it's a shame they couldn't get that win. Uh, Perth Spirit up in Rockhampton, taking on Queensland Country. Spirit winning their first game of the season. Um, and a, a big one, 64-34. to 34, But I think it was, gosh, might have been 59-8 to 8 with about 20 to go. Um, and it was only really, um, uh, I think, four or five late tries to Country that, gave somewhat some sort of, um, uh, 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 painted a better picture for them. Sam Green, again, very good for country. Big Tong and Thor, Taniela Tupo was fantastic when he came on. But um, Ian Pryor, I think he set a new tournament record of 29 points. 
uh, scored a try and kicked eight conversions from eight attempts and, and, and led the way. But that spirit team, they still mix and match their team, but if they got the right team on the field week to week, uh, I reckon they'd be a lot higher up the ladder. But currently sitting... Um, uh, I think they're... In fact, they're probably at sixth or seventh position uh, thanks to that win. Uh, and then on Sunday afternoon at Ballymore, beautiful day uh, and uh, a really good first half. Uh, City ended up running away... 61 to 29, but uh, I think it must have been maybe 25-24 at half time to City, but only thanks to a, a try, literally converted try, literally on half time to Carmichael Hunt, and then in the second half uh, they just ran riot, and um, Samuel Karevi stepped up, and and some of the tries scored, and guys, I don't know if you've seen the highlights at least, but some of the tries scored were just. Um, Outrageous! Just those great team linking tries, offloads, and and one of those days where everything went Brisbane's way. So um, uh, a big win there and a great afternoon of rugby at, at Ballymore um, for Brisbane City. So Brisbane City remain on top of the ladder, uh, the, and the Vikings are in second spot. And those two look to be running away with it. The battle will be three four. Uh, to get in the finals, and Sydney Stars might be on the decline unless they can get the likes of Dave Dennis and and, and sign back. Melbourne Rising should be there or thereabouts, probably New South Wales country, I think, are the other team. Will you be happy to hear who are, you know, should be yep. a, a continue to climb there. I think they've got a good squad and I think they've actually still got some good players to come back. Bo Robinson should be playing pretty soon and a few players like that. So uh, uh, NRC continues to roll on. Hey, Reg, yeah, mate. can I ask you a question? Yeah. I was just wondering if uh, if there'd been any talk about maybe instituting a defensive bonus point for next year <laughs> that if you kept the team under, t- the opposition under 30... <laughs> You got an extra point or something, mate. It was this weekend was ridiculous. I think there was, you know, it might have been uh, eleven tries in that first game, uh, ten in the second, thirteen in the third, and another eleven in the last. It was um, pretty astronomical, mate. And I, I, you know, what it is, I don't know whether it's the the, the combination of the the you know the amateur boys who just can't keep up the pace, but it would be uh, an interesting uh, interesting perspective to um, to try and instigate something like that as well. I've got yeah, to say, though, looking the at those, the, Sorry, those tries, go. though, there's some sensational tries. Not just in that Brisbane City game, but that Perth Spirit game as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the ACT. Uh, it's just across the board there. I mean, obviously some issues with defence, but, jeez, you can't fault the attacking skills of, of, of any of the teams. They're all just sensational uh, end-to-end kind of tries. You're right, Hugh. I think that it, it is this spirit of have a go. You know, these guys are getting the chance to back their skill when, with all due respect to the NRC, it, it's not life or death. I mean, we see the pressure under these these guys have in Super Rugby and, you know, any mistake is is sort of analysed and criticised. Whereas in here, you know, at this level of tournament, these guys can do what they love. They can pass the ball and back behind the back passes. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw the Pierce Fitzgerald try in that uh, for Queensland country, but, you know, <laughs> Elliot Hagen ran basically straight across field, stepped 20, reversed back to Pierce Fitzgerald, who was do- doing dummy passes to himself, finally made his way <laughs> through. But it's just that sort of fun type of rugby. And um, I think you're right. I think it's as much just the, the freedom for them to express themselves a little. It's, it's creating some some great attacking moments. Yeah. No, it, and, and look, you're, you're right, though. I mean, Brisbane and the ACT are the two clear standouts. But then again, look, Melbourne, Melbourne, um, Vic, the Melbourne fans know all too well how, how Brisbane City are sitting at the moment, and it yeah. didn't turn out particularly well for them last year. So yeah, exactly still, right. a, still a lot of time left in this competition. And, and a team like Brisbane City, 
who won the comp last year. They only got going late in the season. So um, I, I wouldn't count out the likes of, um, well, Melbourne now and, and Country and, and um, what's that? And, and even the Perth Spirit um, yeah. as, the, as the comp goes forward. Well, Perth Spirit came home last year. I think they, only, they lost more games than they won last year, but they made the finals. And I, that could happen again this year. So just look at this weekend's ma- uh, round. The, the Thursday night game is New South Wales Country versus Queensland Country at Newcastle, which uh, Queensland Country have been decimated. You know, JJ Tuolangi and, and Duncan Payaua and Chris Fawaya Sortia and all these guys are out for the season. So uh, that's up at Newcastle. So fantastic, another sort of regional centre. Um, but a good chance for fans of rugby to to get another look at this Taniela Tupo probably for the first time. He'll get plenty of game time, may even start, but uh, uh, probably not. No, the country team have got a damn good front row, but that'll be a good game. North have a Rays versus the Vikings. So, uh, big challenge for the Rays, but they're doing a big family day um, up there at Pittwater Rugby Park in Sydney. So, get along to support that. The Perth Spirit are hosting Melbourne Rising, so Perth will have plenty of confidence after... Um, that last big win and taking on the rising over there at uh, McGilvray Fields. And then the Sydney Stars are also coincidentally having a, um, a big family day in the local derby against the Greater Sydney Rams down at Leichhardt Oval. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a great tournament and good fun to get across. So we hopefully uh, plenty of fans who are getting out there watching the Rugby World Cup can get out there and, and enjoy some NRC as well. Which pretty much wraps us up, guys. Um, you know, good podcast. And I guess comparing to... Go on, Will. Sorry, I guess comparing to last season, we're probably getting to the point where we might start seeing a few uh, announcements of uh, new sort of signings by the various Super Rugby teams of uh, players who are sort of uh, really uh, showing their stuff in the NRC, which is which is I guess what the big part of what we want to see from this competition, giving uh, players without sort of professional contracts a chance to to really uh, to really win one, I guess. Um, so hopefully we start well, seeing a few of those announcements in the next month. Yeah, exactly. Well, typically the Waratahs are getting into the NRC spirit by signing a Parramatta Eels outside back and someone from the Sevens program. Yeah. So that's great. <laughs> well done to, to them. To, to be fair, Hugh, the Reds signed a league winger last week as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right. It's, I mean, it's, it's, almost <laughs> like, it's almost like the Super Rugby teams haven't gotten the memo there. It is frustrating when you've got this Alex North from having to go, I think he's off to France. Oh. For a contract, man, he looks he looks so good. Yeah, and, that's only um, uh, an injury uh, injury joker or something. It's there until June. He's there until oh, next June. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's no. longer than I expected. But, yeah, that, uh, I, I that's thought it was an injury shame. cover as well, but then clarified today he's there until next June. So, um, you know, oh, good for him, great opportunity. But it's a shame when we're signing uh, leagueies, and um, you know, you got the likes of, and it's not just him. And you know, Jerome McKenzie played fullback for the country. Eagles on the weekend and look great, and um, obviously Lalo Ifi and Alex Gibbon and you know Isaiah Parisi. There's, there's lots of talent out there, and, and gosh, the the Perth Spirit have got three or four dynamic wiggers as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully they stay in the game. We, we, we need them here. Um, which just wraps us up, guys. Fantastic uh, time of year, isn't it? With Rugby World Cup, NRC combined. You got the two ends of the spectrum, so to speak, but um, plenty to watch on Fox Sports, and I think Gem kicks into play as well uh, over here in Oz, but also the NRC, and just keep encouraging you to get out there and support that tournament, because that's uh, that's where these guys are coming for, that the guys that will be playing the for the Wallabies next year and beyond are all playing for the NRC now. So, um, uh, Jamie, thanks for getting up early for us again, mate. We really enjoyed your input. Not a problem, mate. Lovely early mornings. 
Good stuff. And and Will and Hugh, thanks for your uh, uh, support again. Yep, no well, yep, see you next time. To our listeners, thanks for logging in and downloading, and we'll uh, enjoy your rugby this week, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah. Yeah. Right there, right there.